Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, do you have reason to be depressed, to feel down and out? Do you have reason to feel downright miserable? Some will say yes, and it's a fact of life. Some will always more quickly see the negative side of things. Perhaps others will say no, and again, some will always more quickly see the bright side. But our Lord's Day this afternoon tells us all the same thing in and of ourselves. Outside of Jesus Christ, we have plenty of reasons to feel down, to feel depressed, miserable. And we need to hear about this so that we continue to seek our life and well-being outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. Back in Lord's Day 2, we were confronted with our sin and misery in the light of God's law. You compare yourself to that standard of God's perfect law and then you see your sins. We do not love God and our neighbor as we should. Then in Lord's Day 3, we confess that we were created good and in God's image with all we needed to carry out the task God had given us in His service. But for no good reason at all, we threw it all away. It's almost unfathomable how wicked sin is when we see how good we had been created. That was Lord's Day 3. And now we come to Lord's Day 4, which especially brings out our misery. In this Lord's Day, we confess God's justice. It's in light of God's justice that we come to see just how miserable our sinful situation is. Not a pleasant lesson in and of itself. Just as the diagnosis of a disease that is killing us is no pleasant news. But just as that diagnosis is a very important part of the treatment and eventual recovery, so too the depth of our misery is important to see if we are to find all that we need in Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. And so congregation, this Lord's Day leads us away from ourselves. It drives us more and more to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under this theme. God's justice reveals how great our sins and misery are. And we'll see three things about God's justice. God is just. God's punishment is just. And finally, God's mercy is is just. So God's justice reveals how great our sins and misery are. First of all, God is just. Then God's punishment is just. And finally, God's mercy is just. God is just. The theme that runs through this Lord's Day is God's justice. God's justice is His being fair. His Sticking to his word. He's doing what is right according to the law that he has given. And so, in this Lord's Day, we begin by asking whether God is indeed being just towards us. Is he being fair? And that's a very serious question, congregation. Is God being fair today when he asks you to keep the Ten Commandments knowing full well that you are not able to do that. 
For after all, we confess we are not able to do any good, that even our best works are all imperfect and defiled with sin. You get up in the morning determined to do better today than yesterday. Determined to put away those little sins too, the evil thoughts that come into your mind, the hostile words that slip across your lips. Before you know it, you've done it again. You try your best, but the fact remains you are unable to perfectly keep God's law. And so the question is pressing. Is God not being unfair when he asks us still to keep his law perfectly? After all, he is the one who has revealed to us in his word that even our best works are all defiled and covered with sin. Isn't God being unfair when he asks us still to be perfect? And the answer is clearly no. God is not being unjust when he asks us to do what we are not able to do. And the catechism explains why this is not unjust. Because with the scriptural teaching, God created man with perfect righteousness. When God asked me to love him and love my neighbor as myself, as God does every Sunday when his law is read, then God's not being unfair to us. For he created man so that he was able to live like that. The problem doesn't lie with God, but with man. It's man who has changed. Man threw away the ability that he had received when he was created. God had made so clear to Adam. If he disobeyed God, death would result. The fact that man cannot keep the law, that is part of the death that he brought upon himself. That man can no longer keep God's law. That's not God's fault. It's man's own. Man decided to sin and therefore brought upon himself the penalties to sin. Man had the ability. but Man threw it away. The doctrine of original sin, as we also confess it in more detail in Lord's Day 3, is that I personally am included in this sin of Adam. God holds me responsible for what Adam did. That has the consequence that when God proclaims to us His law on Sunday mornings, then we cannot say to God, that's not fair. You are asking of us what you know that we are not able to do. For God holds us responsible for not being able to do it. You had the ability, God says, but you threw it away. Point is, neither God nor God's justice, neither of that change should have fallen to sin. Before the fall into sin, then God was God who required of man that man love him and serve him in obedience. And after the fall, God remains the same. And the command which God brings to man, love, serve and obey me, they remain unchanged. What has changed is man's ability But just think about it, beloved. Think about this. If God had changed after the fall into sin. Imagine that after man had fallen, God had said, Okay, I see that you are no longer able to do what I ask of you. 
you are no longer able to love me and my neighbor and your neighbor. Well, then I will no longer require that of you either. Just do your best. And that, beloved, would be terrible. In the first place, it would mean that the world in which we live today is totally different from the world which was created. For in the world that was created, God had established justice and law and proclaimed what was right and what was wrong and what the penalty for disobedience was. If God had relaxed His demands after the fall, it would mean that God would totally undermine the created order that He had put in place. That He would deny and dismantle what He had said. God's word, to say the least, would not be very sure anymore. And even worse, God Himself would fail to be God. By commanding Adam to love God and serve God, and God was calling Adam to love Him above all else. After all, God had created all things for His own glory. It is God who is the most important. For God then to say after the fall into sin, I no longer require of you what I did before the fall, then that would be for God to say, I will no longer be God. I will no longer require that all things serve my honor and glory. I will no longer require that you love me above all else and serve me. That would be God abdicating, coming off His throne. That's impossible. For our God is unchangeable. A characteristic of God we often draw much comfort from. Our God is just. As just after the fall as He was before. His justice, it's an attribute that belongs to His very being. And so after the fall into sin, the world remains a world of justice. It's a world in which God remains just. It's a world in which God's just requirements remain. That hasn't changed. I strive against sin and continue to see sin in my life. I don't reach perfection and God is doing me no injustice when He still asks of me perfection. Perfection is impossible for me, but it's all my fault. And so the first question and answer of this Lord's Day does nothing to expose God as being unfair. In fact, it shows how just God is. Because the fault lies with us, we were the ones who threw away the ability to do what God commanded. This means we are only shown to be more guilty. If God was being unfair, unjust in what He required of us after the fall, then that would take away some of our guilt. But because it's the very opposite, the fault all lies with us. This means that in light of God's justice, our sins come into even sharper perspective. And secondly, we consider... Not only is God just, but also God's punishment is just. Lord's Days 2 and 3, and the first question of Lord's Day 4, they reveal to us and then we confess our sin. We stand before our God with natures that are inclined to hate God and our neighbor, natures that instinctively do the very thing God forbids. 
We stand before God knowing full well that our sin has nothing to do with a fault in God's perfect creation. We had it all, but incomprehensibly threw it all back in God's face. We stand shame-faced. We cannot even complain that God is being unfair when still today He commands us to be perfect. And this Lord's Day is about God's justice. And justice means that where there is a crime, there's also punishment. And so the question arises, will then God allow our obedience and apostasy to go unpunished? In the light of God's justice, the answer is not surprising. Certainly not. God is terribly displeased with our original sin as well as our actual sin. God is angry with sin. It affects God very personally. He created all things good and fully able to fulfill their purpose of developing to His greater honor and glory. This is especially the case with mankind whom God created in His image to rule over the earth, to develop the earth to God's glory. But man rebelled against the God who gave him that position and so God's anger burns against man. In the first place, God is terribly displeased with our original sin. Not just the sin of Adam, but He's terribly displeased, we confess, with our original sin. Each of us congregation stands guilty before God, even before we were born. And the punishment for that sin is death. Eternal death of body and soul. As we saw in the first point, it's part of the penalty for this original sin that we are no longer able to keep God's law. And because none are able to do any good, no one of themselves will turn to God. Without God intervening, all will eventually die physical death and enter into eternal punishment of body and soul. Sometimes we might think that Adam and Eve did not die straight away, but therefore God did not fulfill His threat. The day that you eat of the tree, you shall die. Let us never forget that the spiritual death that came through the fall, that spiritual death inevitably leads to physical and spiritual death in hell. There's no turning back for man. There is no hope that the spiritually dead will ever turn to God of themselves. And then God is also displeased with our actual sins. Catechism explains that God's curse hangs over man because of sin. Scriptures show that already began after the fall. God cursed the ground for man's sake. No longer produced as it formerly did. This curse is an expression of God's judgment. God applied the curse more specifically to His people when they were living in the land of Canaan, that land flowing with milk and honey. His people would be blessed if they kept His law, but should they disobey, then His curse would come upon them. Then they would experience drought and famine, defeat at the hands of their enemies, plagues of boils, itch, madness, confusion. 
In a word, God said things would go badly, very badly for the Israelites. No matter how hard they worked, no matter how big their families and how much wealth they had, no matter how many their fields and how influential their political alliances, it would all come to nothing. God would turn against His people. His curse would follow. The curse of God, congregation, is a destructive power. God hates sin. And His wrath burns against the sinner. He is angry with the wicked every day. As we read in Psalm 7. And so His curse falls upon them. That's God's justice revealing itself in this world. And God's curse remains on all disobedience today. The punishment of God will not only take place in the life to come. God will punish man's original and actual sins with a just judgment both now and and eternally. Also now. That means today. In this world. And we see terrible calamities happening. Like destructive hurricanes and floods. And gruesome wars and terrorism. And we see also God's punishment. God's just punishment. Working itself out in this world. Make no mistake beloved. These things happen because of the curse of God. Our God is just. And sometimes God's punishment comes in a very terrifying way. One we see happening more and more in our society. We read in Romans 1 about how God punishes the idolatry and wickedness of men. How? By giving them over to increasingly more wickedness. God gives people over to more wickedness to punish their wickedness. Their consciences are seared and they run headlong to their ruin. All of that is testimony of the justice of the sovereign God who rules this world. This punishment and curse of the God who is just will unfold in the worst punishment of all. Everlasting punishment of body and soul in hell. That's something that's worse than what we can fully comprehend. It makes you shudder to try and imagine eternal suffering with no end. We cannot get our minds around it. The justice of God requires that sin committed against the most high majesty of God also be punished with the most severe, that is, everlasting punishment of body and soul. The fall into sin congregation was an act of treason. Man handed over to Satan's rule the kingdom that man had been entrusted with. He'd been told to be a ruler over creation. And what did he do? Instead of listening to God's word, he did what the devil suggested. Handed over his rule, as it were. That was sin against the most high majesty of God. What we also know from Scripture is that the final punishment will be everlasting punishment. The fire that will not be quenched. This punishment is so horrible, there will come no end to it. We cannot fathom this. Let us learn something from that. We very quickly talk about our original sin and our actual sin. Yes, that's my sin in Adam. Those are the sins today because of my evil nature. We sin so often, we almost get used to it does not seem quite so bad anymore. It's good to meditate on the seriousness of punishment in hell. 
Scripture makes clear that that incomprehensible, eternal punishment is what my sin deserves. My sin is that bad. Hell is the punishment that the just God gives to sin. Doesn't that teach us something of how bad sin is? I see God's just punishment against sin breaking out all around me. And I must confess, the most terrible calamities I can imagine happening to me, that's the least of what I deserve. God's justice is such that no punishment would be too much to be fair. See here our misery, beloved. We would like to explain away the terrible calamities that come over us in this world. Political instability causes wars and genocide. Insufficient regulation leads to economic collapse. Lack of warning systems leads to millions being killed by tsunamis. Too much alcohol in the blood causes fatal collisions and quadriplegics. The teaching of God's Word is, this is the just punishment of a righteous God. Knowing what I do about my sin and sinful nature, it makes me shudder. That's what my sins deserve. See, hear the misery of fallen man. But does that mean, and the question is probably being asked in your minds, does that mean that when bad things happen to me, that God is punishing me for my sins? We need to be careful in answering this question. First thing that should be said, and we will get back to this, is that when we believers suffer calamities, then God is not making us pay for our sins. That's something that Christ has done for us in our place. He suffered the eternal wrath of God against my sin. Calamities that befall me are not God making me pay for my sins. There are other reasons for the calamities that come into our lives. Sometimes God will use the terrible things that befall us to strengthen our faith. None of us has faith that is strong enough that it does not need strengthening. God also uses afflictions to encourage us. He tells us in His Word that those who suffer with Christ will also reign with Him. If we share in Christ's sufferings, then we are encouraged that we will also share in His glory. Or God can use difficulties to chastise us. Hebrews 12 speaks about this. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by Him, for whom the Lord loves He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. That means sometimes the Lord also sends affliction on one of His children because of sin in their life. And He sends the affliction because He loves that child. Because He wants that child of His to repent from his sin and look to the cross of Christ. But that's not the same as making payment for sin. Jesus Christ has fully paid for that sin. God uses the affliction to turn that person away from sin. Sometimes the affliction might flow directly out of the sin. For example, we are irresponsible at work 
and then we lose a limb through an accident. God uses that accident to afflict us and so urge us away from being foolish and irresponsible. Or another example, we might end up with no friends because we love sharing gossip. But let's be very careful with this, beloved. Let us not conclude that because there are afflictions in someone's life, therefore he or she is being punished for some sin and then go looking for what that sin is. That's what the friends of Job did. and We know how wrong they were. Instead, let each one of us be warned. If we are clinging to sin and disobedience and then meet with calamity, God is thereby warning us. He is chastising us to bring us away from our sins. For the curse remains. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We incur the wrath of God when we sin. When you are tempted to sin, don't. Incur the wrath of God by your sin. If you are clinging to sin, refusing to break with it, and then things fall apart in your life, then repent and break from sin. We've seen that God is just, and His punishment is just. His demands have not changed. And because we fail to fulfill those demands, we only deserve punishment. And in that context, it's also important that we consider God's mercy. God's mercy is clearly revealed in Scripture. Exodus 34, the Lord. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. God, the God who is just, is merciful. And mercy means to forgive sinners, to spare them. Does God's mercy mean that there might yet be hope for escape from God's justice? Will God in mercy towards us overlook our sins and what they justly deserve? And that brings us to our third point. God's mercy is also just. God's mercy does not take away from His justice. So the question, is God not also merciful? The simple reply is given. God is indeed merciful, but He is also just. His justice requires that sin must be paid for. There is no way around it. That means, in a word, God's mercy is just. God's mercy does not take away from His justice. This can never be. For God is God and not a man that He should lie and change His standards and His words. If God's mercy was such that it made Him overlook His justice... And that would make God weak and unreliable. Then His word of warning in paradise, that punishment would follow sin, that would sound somewhat hollow. It would also make sin less bad. If God in mercy can simply overlook sin, then sin is not that bad after all. But God does not overlook sin. His just demand stands. Love me perfectly and your neighbor too. And the punishment on disobedience remained. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. God's justice will not be undone by His mercy. Sin must be paid for. And so God's justice portrays fallen man's situation very starkly. There is no way out. No way. Except God's just punishment 
be endured. And so God's justice really brings to light our sin and misery. But yet, congregation, this Lord's Day leaves us with hope. For God is merciful. That's a statement of scriptural fact. And mercy implies pitying the undeserving. If God is merciful, then there is a way of escape. But it must be a way of escape that includes God's justice being satisfied. And so this final Lord's Day about our sin and misery is driving us to Jesus Christ. He is the only way of escape from our terrible mess. For only through Him are the just demands of God's law met. Only through His terrible, hellish suffering and death is this final misery of our Lord's Day lifted off our shoulders. God's justice means that our situation is very serious. And that drives us to Jesus Christ. It's in Him that God's justice and mercy come together so that He and He alone is the way of escape. As we will come to see in the next two Lord's Days. And then let us also take comfort in God's justice congregation. From the point of view of the fallen sinner, God's justice is a terrifying thing. But if there is a way of escape, if there is one who will pay the just penalty for sin, then God's justice will give us comfort. For if God's justice will be satisfied by someone else, then God will no more ask me to pay the penalty. Then the just curse of God will no more hang over me. If there is a way of escape, and there is through Jesus Christ, then it must be that if He pays for my sins, that the curse is lifted off me, that my misery is taken away. For God is just. It belongs to His very nature. He will not punish where there is no more debt. First John 1 makes this very clear. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Did you hear that? He is just to forgive us our sins. That means because those sins have been paid for by Christ, He will not make us pay for them. That would not be just. His justice means that He will not punish us for the sins for which Christ has already been punished. God does not exact punishment twice. That means in turn, we live in a world full of calamities and disasters and all kinds of terrible things. Bad things can happen to us just as they happen to unbelievers. In fact, a believer and an unbeliever could sustain similar injuries in the same accident. But that calamity has totally different meanings for each of them. For the unbeliever, that terrible thing is due to the curse that hangs over him because of his sin and disobedience. God is a just judge who punishes sin both in this life and in the life to come. Quadriplegia is only the beginning of the awful punishment that will fall on him because of his sins. But for the believer, the curse is gone. God still has his purpose in that calamity. We have spoken about them in the second point. But for him there is no more punishment for sin. He has been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And thus he has peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
God is not angry with him even anymore. That's the reality of God's justice. When the payment has been made, then there is peace with God, even in the midst of the calamities and brokenness that can also come on the believer. Do we have reason to be depressed and miserable about ourselves? In light of our original and actual sins, in light of God's just punishment and curse on all sin, yes, we do have reason to be down, to be miserable, eternally miserable. But this is not so for those who believe in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you believers have comfort, for He belongs. You belong to your Savior, who has fully paid for all your sins with His precious blood. That's your comfort, congregation. Your everlasting comfort as you meditate on the justice of our God. Our God is just. Sin must be paid for. Our God is also merciful. He has given us His Son so that justice might be satisfied and we might be forever freed. Peace with God forevermore. Amen.